welcome today. We're so glad you're here. And um, I just want to say a huge welcome to all of us, or all of us, all of you who are watching us uh, on Facebook, YouTube Live right now. Um, if it was too cold and you were a weenie and didn't want to come out this morning, I just want to tell you, you can watch it online, but it is not like experiencing worship here in the room. And uh, this morning was awesome. Uh, worship team did great, and I'm glad that I was here. Uh, so next time, get yourself here instead of watching online. So, so thankful that we could uh, be here with you this morning. And um, I just want to give you a couple of quick updates before we jump into uh, the series today, uh, finishing the series with the teaching. Um, many of you, if you've been here for a while, know that over the last year, we've been looking at trying to expand this building a little bit. We started our Propel uh, campaign and asked you to give toward that to be able to help us uh, knock this wall down, move it back a little bit, create some more space, and then do some uh, emphasis on digital ministry. Two major milestones were accomplished this week. And uh, I'm sure you were probably making a beeline for the door because it was so cold this morning, but you may have looked around and seen that there was uh, dirt disturbed around the building. They actually moved the electrical transformer that had to be moved from the back here up to the side uh, this week, and they got that all done and rewired and ready to go. And secondly, the septic issue that we've been dealing with for months finally got resolved, and we got a drawing that we could submit to the state, and that all happened this week. So two major hurdles. Yeah, you can... Woo, septic. No, those were two big things, though, two big milestones in us being able to move forward. And uh, thank you to all of you who have um, uh, been faithfully giving to Propel. I know many of you are continuing to give to that, and, and I thank you for that because we still need some uh, to be able to finish the building portion of this. When, uh, whenever the weather breaks is when we'll start, whenever that happens. Um, but we still need some, some more finances to be able to do that without having to borrow any money to finish it. And so we would just encourage you to continue to keep that in your prayers. If you can give toward that, uh, we would be hugely thankful. And we look forward to uh, getting the, the real construction started uh, here in the spring. Let's jump into, though, um, wrapping up this series, Keep the Change. And we started this series, like Jordan said, obviously because this uh, beginning part of the year, we're all thinking about changes in our lives and the typical New Year's resolution stuff. And so that's why we put this series where we put it. But the reality is this is something that all of us are dealing with constantly. In fact, um, making change in our life, um, continuing to grow and mature and progress in our lives is a part of this church's DNA. Um, in fact, our mission statement is transforming lives by helping people take next steps with God. I mean, that is why this church, this organization, this group of people exists, is to create change in each other and allow God to change us, a transform, changed life. And so even though we put this kind of at the beginning of the year because of how it lined up with New Year resolutions and stuff, this is a, a, a universal topic that we deal with constantly. How do we change the things in our lives that we know need to change or that we want to change. And what we're specifically going to talk about today is not only how do we change them, but how do we keep that change? How do we sustain that change, right? Because making a change in your life 
is only half the battle. You have to actually keep that in your life if you're going to grow and mature and, and keep moving. So that's what we're going to look at today. Um, I'll make my uh, typical disclaimer that as I talk to you about this, uh, I feel like I've changed some good things in my life over the years uh, that God has blessed and, and brought me to some new places. Uh, but I am far from perfect, and there are still lots of areas in my life that uh, I fail miserably at, and I need to continue to change as well. So I say that, say, we're all in the same boat. Even though I'm teaching this, it's been very convicting for me this week um, to realize there's some stuff in my life that I still need to continue to work on. We're going to look today at a story that many times if you're in a church, you hear it called the rich young ruler. And it's a story about an interaction between Jesus and uh, a young man that comes to him. And, and three of the gospel writers talk about it. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we're going to look at Matthew's version of it. But just know that it's, uh, there's some other little details from the other gospels that we'll be kind of putting into the story today. If you've got your U versions, your Bibles with you, feel free to get them out, follow along. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 19, uh, or you can just follow us on the side screens. Matthew 19, verse 16. It says, Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? So this young man, and we're going to find out as we progress through here, that he's a, a rich young man. And from the other Gospels, we know he's in some kind of leadership position. That's why we call it the, the rich young ruler. But this young man who has wealth and power and position comes to Jesus and says, teacher, rabbi, person of knowledge, that's a, a term of, uh, of respect, what good thing, what action, what behavior do I need to do to have eternal life? Now, the fact that this guy is even coming to Jesus to ask this question tells us something. It tells us that even with everything he has, everything he is in the community, he's still missing something, right? There's still something lacking, or he wouldn't be asking the question, you know, what else do I need to do? See, this guy is the all-American boy, right? I mean, he's the, the big man on campus. He's the, the one you want your daughters marrying. He's, you know, like Jake Eisenhower. He's got it all together. He's the complete package, right? And yet he's coming to Jesus going, but there's still something missing. And what do I need to do to fill that hole, to, to change the thing that's missing in my life? And he, he asks it this way. He says, what must I do to get eternal life? Now, this is a passage that I think um, has one of those dual meanings that's going on. It's deeper than just what's on the surface, because when we read the phrase eternal life, our, our minds immediately go to uh, heaven, right? Like after we die, we spend the rest of our lives with God in heaven. And, and I think that's, that's a piece of it. But understand that when they use this word eternal, when this young man says eternal, um, it does mean never ending. But it's a, it's a way to describe 
um, it's the way they would have used to describe the gods of that time. Like it's a characteristic of a god, someone who has it all, who has all power, who, you know, everything goes well for. They have control over everything. Nothing goes wrong in their lives. They're, and he's asking, really, what do I have to do to have this complete, whole, uh, everything going well kind of life? How do I have, how do I get this aliveness, this fullness of life that we talk about so much? That's what he's really asking. And Jesus responds to him and first of all says, well, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. But if you want to enter life, notice he doesn't even use the word eternal there. He says, keep the commandments. So he kind of starts off with, Kind of going, well, as a side note, dude, there, you know, when you say what good thing, the things are not good in their purest form. Like, if you really want to talk about good, that means pure of heart, right? Someone that is, is pure on the inside. And there's only one that's really pure of heart, and that's God. And that's why the word one is capitalized. He says, besides that, besides the fact that, you know, there's only one thing that's, or one person, one being that's really good. If you want to have life, that aliveness, that fullness of life, what you need to do is to keep the commandments. And the man questions then by saying, well, which ones? Which is kind of funny because it's kind of a lot like what we do many times, right? In our life, it's when we know we need to change something, our initial response is, what's the minimum requirement I have to do to change something, right? Like, just tell me which ones. You know, I don't want to do them all. Just tell me the ones that get me what I want. And he says, well, well which ones, which commandments do I need to keep? He's looking for some kind of transaction, some kind of formula where if I do these things, then I get this, right? I fill that hole that's in my life. And Jesus gives him a list, kind of shockingly. If you think about it, he goes, well, okay, I'll give you a list. And he says, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, well, you want me to tell you which ones? Well, first of all, the list of commandments that I'm going to give you, notice five of these come from the Ten Commandments we get in the Old Testament, but the ones he chooses to give are the ones that deal with how we relate to each other. You notice that? The list doesn't include the first few commandments, like you shall have no other gods before you, you know, keep the Sabbath, those things that our commandments about our relationship with God. It actually, he talks about our relationship with other people. And he says, these commandments are the ones you should keep. These are the things that you should worry about if you want this kind of full life that you're looking for. And the man responds, well, but all of these I have kept. But what do I still lack? He says, I can put check marks next to each of those. I haven't stolen from anybody. I haven't murdered anybody. You know, I tried to love my neighbor as myself. Like, I've done all these things, but there's still something missing. And in that question, I think we, we understand a principle um, that I think 
many times we skip over or we default to thinking that the good things in our lives, the things that we do, will fulfill us. When the reality is you can do all the right things and still not experience this aliveness. Just being totally honest with you, I've grown up in the church all my life, had a, had a great uh, background from that standpoint. I can fake it really well. You know, like I know all the right things to say, all the right things to do. I know the language. I know the secret handshakes. I know, you know, the stuff that you'll be looking at to judge whether I'm a good person or a good pastor or a good Christian. And I could do all of those things really well and still be lacking in my heart. Those are not the things that fill the hole in your heart. And that's what this man is saying. He's saying, but Jesus, I've, I've done all those things. And there's still something more that I want. And it's here that I think Jesus kind of turns the dialogue a little bit. You see, I think he's given this list of commandments that this young man's supposed to follow just because he knew that's where the, the man's mind was, Right? Like he was asking for the things to do. And I think Jesus goes, well, here's the commands. I could have listed a bunch more. But the whole point of listing these commands is to show you that you've done all that and you're still missing something. So I did that kind of to prove a point. And he goes on and he says, listen, if you really want this, here's what you're lacking. If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. He says, well, if you're still acknowledging, if, or if you're, you're finally acknowledging that you can do all the right things and still have something missing inside, then what I want you to do is go sell all of your possessions. And on, on just the surface, it may look like all Jesus did was to give another commandment, another thing for him to do. But in reality, what he's doing is he's pinpointing the area in this man's life that had a hold on his heart. And what he's trying to say is there's a heart issue here that you need to deal with. Now, there's a word at the beginning here that we've translated as perfect. It says, if you want this perfect life, um, understand that that word perfect doesn't mean you never do anything wrong. Perfect in the sense more of completeness and wholeness, like it's all come together, like it's uh, a full, complete, uh, mature life. That's the kind of perfect he's talking about. If you want that kind of life, he says, then I need you to go sell your possessions. Now, I want to make it clear. There are times where there are universal principles and then there are specific principles in Scripture. This piece of the, the story is a specific principle. That is what Jesus told this man at this time who was dealing with this heart condition he needed to do to unlock the key to having a full life. That is not a universal principle that says what Jesus expects all of us to do is to go out and sell all of our possessions and give to the poor. Does that make sense? 
That was a specific thing that he asked that man to do because that was the issue he was struggling with. Now, does God ask us to be generous? Absolutely. We're going to be talking about that actually over the next few weeks. But I want you to understand that it's not a, well, if we're supposed to, if we want that full life, we've got to go sell our possessions and give to the poor. No, what Jesus is saying is you've got to deal with whatever it is inside you that's locking up your heart. And for this man at this time, it was his wealth and his possessions. The universal principle is the end of this verse where Jesus says, come, follow me. That is for all of us. And he's not just saying to this man, like, come, follow me to the lunch stand. You know, like, let's go get something to eat. He's saying, no, come follow. When a rabbi, a teacher said, come follow me, what he was really saying was, come and not just learn the head knowledge of my ways, but come and try to become like me. In a sense, become another version of who I am. That's what a rabbi saying, come follow me, means. And that's the universal principle that God calls all of us to. It's come follow me, become my disciple, and try to become like me. The next verse says, Unfortunately, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. When he heard this, he went away sad. Know, too, in this culture that there's some added um, stuff going on with this wealth issue. It was believed during this time that if you were wealthy, it was because God was happy with you, right? If you did all the right things and God was pleased with you, he would reward you with, wessions, uh, with possessions and money. Right? You, if you were wealthy, it was because God had blessed you because he was pleased with you. And so not only is this man dealing with the lure of what possessions can do for you or, or the attachment it can make on you, but he was also dealing with this idea that, wait a second, I have these things because God's happy with me. Why would I give them all? It's like I deserve them. I've earned them. God's given them to me because I've been so good. And Jesus is trying to point out that that's, that's not what God looks at. And unfortunately, this man went away sad. And what he really did was basically said, the value of what I have is worth more to me than the value of what I could get by giving this away. I think many times when we wrestle with making changes in our lives, those things that are continual issues that keep coming up that, that we can't seem to grasp or we can't get control of or, you know, they're maybe the, the bad side of our personalities, just like everything, all of us have personalities where we have strengths, but it's those strengths that when they're taken to the extreme become our weaknesses, you know, all of us have those, those rough edges that need to be sanded off and those things that we constantly struggle with. And many times we have a hard time being able to sustain those changes. And if we're honest, if we're really gut level honest, many times it's because what we have is something that we value more than what we would get if we let it go. 
Now, the simplest way to think about this, honestly, is just, you know, at this time of the year, we've been joking about the typical New Year's resolution about, you know, losing weight and eating right that always circles um, over the last few weeks. And and I'll be honest with you, uh, up until I was, um, you know, 40-some years old, I never struggled with weight. And obviously, I've gained lots of weight over the last few years as I've gotten older. And, uh, you know, if I'm gut-level honest with you, one of the reasons for that, one of the reasons I haven't changed that in my life is because the taste of the food at the time is more valuable to me than the long-term health that comes from eating better. That's embarrassing to admit. It honestly is. Because I know in my head that it shouldn't be, right? I know that it, what's better for me is to eat healthier. I know that's the right answer. It's not a, it's not a how-to problem, right? I don't need everybody's idea of what diet to go on. That's not the issue. The issue is that I enjoy the taste of the food in the moment more than I value what's healthy for me over the long term. It's those kinds of changes that are hard for us to sustain. And here's the thing about that. You can't fix a desire problem by trying harder. Right? You can't fix a value problem with willpower. You can't fix that thing that you would rather keep a hold of in your life through a three-step program. It doesn't work. Um, not only from a biblical standpoint, but just to let you know, I've mentioned this before, that there are actually um, studies that have been done recently that show that willpower is an exhaustible resource. It means you have a limited supply of it. Now, some people are wired so that they have more of it than other people. But for everyone, willpower will eventually run out. You can't try harder to sustain changes in your life. In fact, you can't do it simply with accountability or counseling or structure or relationship. And those are all great things, and, and we're huge proponents of those things. Don't, don't hear me wrong. Uh, we're huge proponents of counseling and, and great accountability relationships and those things are a part of the process. But if you never deal with the desire piece of it on the inside, those things will never last. You can be counseling the rest of your life and still be dealing with the same issues. The issues are things on the inside that have to be fixed first, and you can't fix that by trying harder. You can't give up, you know, that desire that you feel or the, the exhilaration you feel when you get to play with all your new possessions, all your new toys, when you know that the stress of living beyond your means later, you know, it's what you should choose, but the desire is still in you to have the fun that you can have with those new things. Or it's hard to give up that temporary satisfaction of, um, of looking at pornography on the internet to give up something now for something later. It's hard to give up the release of emotion that you feel when you 
when your coworker is pushing your buttons and you feel like you deserve to be able to lash out at them and it's their fault because they know what bush, uh, buttons to push and that release when you get angry, that release of emotion, you know, goes, ah, it makes you feel so much better and yet you know in your mind that's something I should be changing. It's that thing, that desire for the temporary escape when you're drinking that you feel. It's that extra half hour of bliss when you hit the alarm in the morning so you could sleep. You know, it's all those things. It's those desires in us that have to change if we're going to sustain the change in our lives. And you can't do it through willpower and working harder. So how do you do it? Jesus goes on. Let's finish the story because I think he gives us some keys about how we can do those things. When Jesus said to his disciples, the man is left, right? Sad thing, he, he didn't make the change that Jesus was calling him to. And Jesus then turns to his disciples who are watching all this and he says, look, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, again, understand that he's talking about this particular instance. He's using the example of this rich man because that's what's just happened. But in a sense, what he's saying is Jesus is acknowledging there's tough stuff out there that you're going to have to deal with in your life from a desire standpoint. Your human nature is going to desire things that are going to be hard to get over. I'm just telling you, it's almost impossible. It is impossible. The, the whole picture of a camel going through the eye of a needle, you say, well, that's silly. That's impossible. He says, well, that's the point. You can't do it. And when the disciples heard this, it says they were greatly astonished and asked, well, who then can be saved? You know, imagine this, them watching this and this rich young ruler who had everything, you know, that is not able to accomplish that. And and I can just imagine the disciples going, Jesus, you're really bumming me out here. Like, if we can't do it by doing the right things, like, if that guy can't do it, what chance do the rest of us have? That, that's impossible. I mean, what are we supposed to do? I mean, kind of like, what's our whole ministry about that? I mean, what, what are we doing here? What's our purpose? If it's that hard for people to sustain change in their life. And Jesus answers here with the key. And he looked at them and said, with man, you're right. This is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And that's not just some flowery, flowery way to say, yeah, you know, you can't do it on your own. You have to have God in your life. What he's literally saying is there's nothing you can do on your own that will sustain those changes. The only thing that has the power to do that is God living in you. It's the Holy Spirit, the part of God that comes into our lives and lives and resides in us when we give our hearts with God. It is the Holy Spirit slowly over time, day by day, rooting out those places in our lives where our desires still are tied to our human nature and replacing them with the desires of God. Paul talks about this 
in lots of his writings. One of them is in Romans where he's talking about how he's constantly fighting this battle within him that there's this battle of the spirit and the battle of his sinful nature, he calls it. And it's in those places where he's talking about the battle of my desires. What I want to do, I don't do. But in those things I don't want to do, I give into. I give into those things that my nature, my desires uh, have inside of me. And the Spirit is trying to root those things out and replace them with the desires that line up with God's heart. And he says, if you'll do that, there's this beautiful picture of a complete perfect, eternal, alive kind of life. And in Galatians, he shows us what that looks like. And he says, this is the fruit or the result of letting the Spirit do that in you. And the results are things like love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Because against such things, there is no law. See what he's saying there? Against those things, like you can't overcome them with any actions or behaviors or things you try to do on the outside. When the inside is right, there's nothing that can happen on the outside that can take that away. When the desires are right, when the Spirit places those things of God in you, there's nothing that can affect you on the outside that can change that. For those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. How do you get that kind of complete, full, eternal, mature life? It's by changing the desires first. And that only the Spirit of God living in you has the power to do that. Only The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit living in you, has the power to change the desires on the inside that will result in the actions on the outside also changing. Again, it doesn't mean that there aren't some good things that you can do and you need things like um, the counseling and those types of things. Those are all great ways, they're great tools But when we talk to you about being here on a regular basis or getting involved in a small group or going to a Bible study or having spiritual conversations or reading your Bible on your own at home or praying to God, all those things are actions not to check off your list so that you're a better person. All of those things are done for one reason, to get you closer to God, to allow him to keep putting more of who he is in place of your old sinful nature and to change you on the inside. It's letting God rub off on you by being around him so much. Letting the spirit come in and and replace those things in your life and do battle with your flesh nature, with your sinful nature. And begin to replace them with the desire and the heart of God. When you go through that process that none of us are ever fully done with, but the more you allow the Spirit to change those things in your life, the more joy, the more love, the more peace, the more complete whole life you will have. 
I want to challenge you today that if there's something you've been struggling with in your life that, you know, maybe you get better at it for a while and then you fall back and it's just a recurring, nagging thing for you. And it's, just, it's really not a how-to issue, right? It's not, here's the steps I need to take. It's just something you can't seem to get past. I want to challenge you to begin to pray that you would begin to open your heart to the Spirit changing that desire in you that the Holy Spirit would have, you know, the ability and the permission to root that out in your life. So not that it creates a vacuum, but that it gets replaced with the pure desire that God has. I want to pray for you this morning. God, I just pray that in all of us, God, again, like I said, I was convicted this week as I was struggling with this, that... Um, there's still places in my life where uh, that battle still rages. And um, it's not a should I issue, I know I should. It's not a how-to issue, I know how to do it. I just haven't had the power to or haven't asked for the Holy Spirit to change me on the inside first. And so, God, I just pray that if there are other people in the room like this, that they would begin to look at it that way, that they would maybe reach out to someone who's further down the road. And most of all, God, that they would just pray to you and connect with you and ask for the Holy Spirit to work through its power in us. When our hearts align with your hearts, when we see other people the way you see other people, when we see ourselves the way you see us, and when we begin to experience the love that you have. God, I know our perspectives will change, and you will give us the power to sustain the transformation you want for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Bruce. I think there's so many of us that are stuck and honestly okay being stuck. We're comfortable and honestly okay being comfortable. And then when life starts to pick up again or life, uh, you know, suffering hits, uh, you know, oh, I got to get back to church now or I got to start meeting with people now or I got to go to counseling now. And, and that's not what we want to promote at all. We want to promote a consistent lifestyle where you actually keep the change this year. Because we believe that 2020 is going to be a great year for Crossbridge, but also a very difficult year. We're taking a lot of steps and going to be pushing a lot of people and we want to encourage you that if you are feeling stuck, if you are feeling comfortable, if you are feeling like life has hit you and you're here today, or if you're watching online or watching later, listening later, to do something about it. Life is too short to waste moments. It's way too short to waste moments. And you don't have to feel or stay stuck, feel or stay comfortable. God wants so much more for us. So thanks, Bruce, for that powerful message, wrapping up Keep the Change. Next week, I have the opportunity to kick off our series called Two Cents, Making Sense of Money. And as soon as you heard the word money, you might have cringed a little bit. Uh, I did too. This is a hard sermon for us to preach and a hard sermon to listen about, but I'm excited about it. I really am. We're going to be spending two weeks talking about money. 
And just to give you a little promo about it, I didn't even do this for first service, and I'm probably throwing myself under the bus doing it second service, but I'm going to do something next week that no preacher or teacher has ever done at Crossbridge before, whether that's good or bad. And so, if you want to see what that is, either watch online or join us next week. It's going to be crazy. We'd love to see you there. Invite a friend. Uh, if you are newer visiting with us today, Kim would love to give you a hug in the back in a box. Um, if you don't like hugs, go to Bruce. And uh, so we would love to get to know you, put a name with a face. We have a, a cheesy little thingamabob for you back there. But thank you so much for joining us today.